Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. A lot of things this last week uh, to pray about, and uh, a lot of things uh, going on in the world, some very difficult and challenging things, and uh, we know that um, uh, many people have been in our prayers, and also I want to mention uh, Betty Olberg's uh, nephew, Jay Toller. Uh, Jay was with us um, a few years, several years ago on a Sunday night and shared a ministry uh, in Nigeria that uh, he was working with, and uh, he is in the, the end stages of, of his life. And uh, we want to pray for Betty and for the extended family, for his family, and for the uh, encouragement of the ministry that he's had and his family. And uh, we just continue to pray for them and lift them up uh, during this time. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you will, this morning. And as we do so, um, I, you never... You know, you're taught to never begin a sermon with an apology, correct? And uh, the few times I've done that, I, I get reminded, so this is not an apology. This is not a disclaimer. This is simply a fact that Martin Luther, as I put in my email this week, said, uh, this is a strange text, and certainly a more obscure passage than any other in the New Testament. I still do not know what the apostle meant, <laughs> okay? Okay. Martin Luther, who, uh, of course, was the father of the Reformation, and uh, if you've read any of his works, his commentary on Galatians and other books, a very, very fine Bible scholar. We would not agree on everything doctrinally, but uh, certainly a fine scholar, and uh, he said, boy, this this is a challenging passage. And so as we look at this morning, um, I'm not sure if I'm asking for sympathy or understanding or... Just uh, getting you kind of keyed up here, but uh, this is the passage we want to look at this morning. It is a challenging passage, and uh, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. As a pastor, um, you know, our responsibility... Uh, hey, um, Matt Amundsen's here today. Where are you, Matt? There you are. Matt's a uh, youth pastor at uh, the, our, our sister church in uh, Holland, uh, Michigan, and he's here with his family on vacation, and so it's good to have Matt with us. We have uh, many, many... Uh, people in the full-time ministry that we have raised in our church. That's another good reason for you to help in our children's ministry because these young people, uh, myself included, grew up in this church and have been nurtured and trained. Um, But, uh, you know, as uh, pastors and Brother Bruce Kemper, of course, as a pastor for so many years, we understand our responsibility is to bring God's Word and to preach it to you and to help you understand it We also are here to help make application of the Bible to our lives. And, of course, this is a challenge because sometimes some of the passages, uh, you know, a passage like this, there may be those here today who say, well, this this doesn't really relate to my life right now. It doesn't really have anything to say with things I'm going through and so on. I just want to remind you that we at our church hold a very high view of the Word of God. We believe it is inspired by God and inerrant in all the original manuscripts. And it's everything that God wanted us to have the historic Christian statement is for faith and practice. In other words, what we believe and what we do. Therefore, I think of all things God could have told us and he didn't, uh, even though instead of Jesus Christ, all the books in the world could not hold everything he said and did. 
And uh, so cover to cover, we have what God wants us to have. It's his inspired word. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, all scripture is given by God and all scripture is profitable. So I say all that to say, when we look at a passage like this that is going to have some, uh, some doctrinal, some teachings, some trying to understand it, uh, when it comes to application, we'll, we'll make application, but you have a responsibility too. You have a responsibility to take what's taught to you and to continue to think about it and, uh, and to think about what does this mean in my life? How does this affect my life? Uh, we cannot accomplish all that in, in just the sermon portion here today. So I just want to remind you that, that we all have a responsibility with God's word to continue to think about it, to continue to apply it, continue to see how this fits into what God would have for us. So let's have a word of prayer and we're going to look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your guidance today, understanding, and Lord, we just we marvel at how fresh your word is every day. The passages we've read maybe many times, songs that we've sung like today, that we've sung many times that are, that are based on your word as the hymn writers and chorus writers have taken your scriptures and put them to music. And yet, as we come and consider them again, uh, they are fresh, they are new every day. And so I pray for a freshness today from your word as we are faithful and walk with you. Uh, may your words be heard today. In Christ's name, amen. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, you know, let's, let's just read the whole section. It goes to the end of the chapter. And I'm reading from the NIV this morning. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, the first part of this passage fits very well with what we've been studying and looking at each week, and it's really kind of a summary statement of so much of the important things that we've, we've been looking at. Uh, verse 18, Christ died for sins once for all. This is a very important Christian teaching. It's the reason why... Uh, we do not offer sacrifices. It's the reason why you do not, you do not come to me as a, as a priest, for example, to represent you to God. Christ died for sins once. There's no need for any more sacrifice. There's nothing you can do to earn God's salvation. He died once for all. And the purpose of it was the righteous for the unrighteous. And he's writing to believers. And again, I remind you to have each week that Peter particularly was called to the circumcision, to the Jews, as Paul tells us in Galatians. And, and yet even these people with this background of the, of the Mosaic law and the Gentiles in their midst as well, and just as the people that Paul wrote to, they at one time were unrighteous, non-righteous. And he says, the Lord Jesus Christ died, he being righteous, he being perfect, he being without sin, he died on the cross of Calvary, he died for one time to pay for sin, to bring us to God. 
to bring you close to God, to bring you to God, the righteous for the unrighteous. And we have here the, this, this big theme that we've seen from chapter 2, especially on and out of suffering. And the suffering of Jesus Christ is emphasized here as, as Peter, uh, and as a passage Gary wrote, read this morning too, this idea that, that suffering challenge, difficulties, and suffering can be physical, it can be uh, all sorts of solical, it can be, uh, you know, in all, all areas of our life. That, that this is part of our life as Christians. We are never told that once we become a Christian, everything is going to just be happy. You know, our, our, um, our, our goal in life is, is not happiness. I want you to be happy and I want to be happy. But our goal is to be faithful. And sometimes that involves unhappy situations from a worldly standpoint or from our natural standpoint. We are called to be faithful. And the Lord Jesus Christ suffered. You know, if you just you stop, and I know, I know every year at Easter or Good Friday, we, we stop and we contemplate the suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, physical and on his soul, on his spirit, as he suffered the punishment and the payment for our sin. Well, we look around the world today, I don't know about you, but um, I think our president hit it just right when he talked about what's going on in, in Iraq right now and, and, and talked about just barbaric. And we think of what's happening, the men, women, and children. And you think of the evil in the world and, the, and, the, and, the, and to think that Jesus Christ died for sin and for sinfulness, and that anybody in the world, no matter how barbaric, how terrible, the Apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting and killing Christians, could come and receive forgiveness. Think of the suffering that he went through to pay for my sin and for your sin. This is the key theme throughout Peter. And so the first part of it fits really pretty naturally with what we've been studying and where, where he goes as he, as he writes to these people. And then in talking about he, him in verse 18, the second part of it, he says he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. And the context that he goes on to explain, as we read, the context, the, the example he uses is the days of Noah. And this is important as you look at this, because like the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Gospels, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when the Son of Man returns. This is the epitome of, of uh, evilness. You know, when, when, when God, who created people, men, women, and children, looked down and it says in the Bible, it grieved him that he created humanity. And, and, he, and, he, and he destroyed all creation, all the world through a flood, but he saved those eight souls in, in, in the ark. And this becomes the, the, sort of the epitome of, of evil and sinfulness when it says, and one of, you know, one of the things it says in, in uh, Genesis, one of the things that the world is held accountable for is that violence ruled the way of the world. Their, their thoughts were constantly evil and violence filled the earth, filled the world. Isn't that our world today? We think of how many people are just, are, are, are just slaughtered or killed whether it's in our neighborhoods, around the world, in large numbers, and in individual numbers that we've seen in our own community, this violence. And this was the world that Noah, this is the world that the Noah and the story of the flood came from. And it's this context that he uses to describe now what, what Jesus did. 
But I want you to notice, this is, the, this is one of the things where I think when Martin Luther talked about this passage, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Now, you know, when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, and his, he, he was fully human, just like you and just like me, but fully God. And he died physically, and he was put to death, but he was also raised in his body. He, he, he was the bodily resurrection. That's the key to the Christian faith, that he rose from the dead and conquered death. So in, in a sense, it, it, we, we can't really say that, that he was created a man, but he only rose a spirit. There's something else, I think, to be said here. And it fits with what else is said when he, when he says that then he went and he preached to the spirits in prison. And he puts this in the context of these, these spirits, these spiritual beings, uh, whatever that is, if it's a human or, or spirit beings, we can talk about that for a minute, from this time of Noah especially. Now, here's, here's the thing. I want to put up here the Apostles' Creed. Many of you learned the Apostles' Creed at one time. I learned it in confirmation when I was in junior high, and Pastor Peterson taught our confirmation class. And I think this is the version, this is the middle part of it about the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy... Sorry for the spaces there, I didn't format it right. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. This is one of the probably most known creeds along with the Nicene Creed in the Christian faith. So that phrase there in the middle there, Cliff, the next one, that, that short phrase there, was crucified, died, was buried, he descended to hell. And that is what many people, when they read that and they look at this passage, and it has led to the understanding that, that when Jesus died, that he went to hell and he preached to those who were imprisoned there in hell. And this passage, although this passage was not necessarily the one that, that was formed the Apostles' Creed, it became part of the understanding along with another passage we'll see later on in chapter 4 as well. So when we look at this passage, what does it mean that Jesus died and he went and preached to the spirits in prison? And there, there are really three main possibilities to this that have been postulated throughout. And this is why Martin Luther, you know, struggled because some of the fathers of the faith that he was familiar with, Augustine or Augustine and others um, that have been writing and teaching on this uh, passage. And one of those beliefs is that, um, that if, in fact, if you have a Schofield Bible, you'll notice the note in your Schofield Bible, the reference note at the bottom it says, this means that Christ preached, that Christ preached by the Holy Spirit through Noah to unsaved people in Old Testament times, their spirits being now in prison. So this is one theory that has been postulated. Augustine, Augustine actually postulated this, uh, Feinberg um, and, and others, that what he's saying here is, is that Jesus Christ spoke through Noah, so when Noah preached, he was preaching the words of Christ to those people, the humans who died and are now reserved uh, in, in the place of the dead for judgment. That's one possibility. Uh, 
Personally, I don't believe that, okay? But if you do, it's okay, all right? <laughs> because uh, this is one I, you know, I can't be dogmatic and say, um, you know, that uh, Martin Luther and I finally figured it out. Um, I'm going to tell you what I think is saying. But this, there's some very fine Bible scholars who teach this, who believe this. One of the things, too, that's a little challenging in the Apostles' Creed is that Christ went to hell. Now, if I were to ask all of you to just take a something and write down, I said, describe hell. What would you say hell? What does that word mean to you, hell? Um, oftentimes, we think of what shows up in the end of Revelation as the lake of fire, right? When death and Hades are thrown into hell. The word Hades or Sheol, the Old Testament Hebrew Sheol, the New Testament word Hades, I think a better you know, translation is the place of the dead. This is not the lake of fire. And so really the, the, the proper, even in the Apostles' Creed, would be he went to Hades and preached to the dead. And I want you, I want you to remember that. But, but what Peter is saying here, I personally, that just doesn't seem to be the most natural reading in this passage. That this doesn't seem, it seems to be you have to go through a few steps to kind of get it to say what he really meant is that Jesus was preaching through Noah to the people at that time. It just doesn't seem to be the most natural reading with the, with the, the syntax of the, of the Greek language. The other possibility, another possibility is that, as the Apostles' Creed seems to indicate, that when Jesus died, like I did a series one time years ago on Wednesday night, a series of Bible studies called Where Was Christ on Saturday? You know, we come on Good Friday and we celebrate the crucifixion and we meditate on that. We come back on Easter morning and we celebrate the resurrection and, and, and the bodily resurrection. It was him, but it was different. And that's, that's wonderful because that's, he becomes the prototype, the first fruits of all who will be raised. And that's good news for us. We as Christians don't believe that, when we, that our future life is sort of a, you know, a something that returns to the nothing or a nothing that returns to something. We believe in a very distinctive uh, resurrection hope. Amen? Amen? That we will, we will have a resurrected body. I will be me. You will be you. But it will be different. And, they say, and, and, and John says, little children, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we, when we see him, we will be like him. And it was Jesus, and it was him, but it was different. Where was he between death and resurrection? And so one possibility is, as the Apostles' Creed seems to indicate, he descended into Hades and preached to the spirits in prison during that time, and preached to them, and then he was raised from the dead. Now, and of course, there's a couple of variations on that. Did he preach to them to give them a chance to repent and be saved? Or was it an announcement of judgment? Well, a couple of things to think about here. And again, we're doing some Bible study now this morning, okay? So you have to, you have to help me out here a little bit. A couple of things to think about is, first of all, the word descent is not in the text here. It does not say he descended. It says he went to. That's the Greek word. He went to. He went. It doesn't say anything about descent. And of course, it doesn't say anything about Hades or hell or Sheol or Tartarus. Nowhere in, the pla nowhere in this text. And nowhere in the New Testament are any of those places referred to as a prison. None of that is in the text here. A literal, maybe, reading of this would be that 
that he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. And he went, as the NIV says, and he preached to the spirits in prison or in refuge, in a guarded place. The word there is, has the word for to guard. Um, it's not necessarily a jail, but it's the idea that they are guarded, they are kept. This is, it, it, it translates the Hebrew word shamar, which means kept or guarded. He went and he, and he preached to these people that were guarded, that were kept. It says nothing about descent, and it says nothing about uh, ascent at this point. It just says he went and he preached to them. So I want to offer to you a third a suggestion, and actually, if, if you happen to have an NIV study Bible, which I know many of you do have now as well, you will see this in their notes, that I want, and you notice, you notice the title of today's sermon, the, the, the title of today's sermon is A Journey to Heaven, The Journey to Heaven, because I want to suggest to you that in the context of Peter and the New Testament, that this is not a descent to the place of the dead. It is not a descent to hell or Hades or Tartarus to preach to those in prison there. But this is part of the resurrection. This is part of the ascension. This is part of the victory celebration that we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning. Look at the very end of this passage in verse 22. Well, at, verse, at the end of verse 21, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, friends, this is, a, this is a big part of the New Testament story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is the victory of the resurrection over death and, of, and over hell and over Hades of the place of the dead. It is the victory over death and over all authorities and by which Jesus Christ is proclaimed to be head over all creation and seated at the right hand of God. This fits with so many other New Testament pictures. If you go back to Ephesians, go back in your Bible to Ephesians. <clears throat> Galatians, Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, I look at two passages here, book of Ephesians. I say go back in your Bible. I, I could say go back on your phone too, right? I'm not hearing so many pages. I can't hear your phones, you know. Why don't you put like a beep or something in there so I can hear you turning your phones or whatever, your, your iPads. Okay, now, okay, Ephesians chapter 1. And that's a wonderful thing. I know many of you, you can compare translations today just like that and get those comparisons and see that, which is a good thing when you're doing Bible study. Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to notice this. We're jumping right into the middle of a, of a passage here. If you look at verse 19, I'm going to jump right in the middle of verse 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he, that is God, exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And then you go to chapter 4 in this passage here that talks about the oneness and the unities in the body of Christ, and, and which actually is the lead, lead in passage in our church constitution, our church doctrinal statement. Is, is, this is the key passage. And in verse eight, 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says in the Old Testament quote, when he ascended on high, he led captives. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train. He gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? That he also descended to the lower 
earthly regions. And I think that's the best translation. He, he came to earth, not that he descended to hell, but that he descended, he came to the lower regions, that is, earth. And he is the same one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And this idea that Jesus Christ descended, he came to earth, he humbled himself and became a man. And when Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, that our passage today, when it says that, that he, was, he was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, I think we are contrasting here that his descent to the, to the earthly realm, the physical realm, and in the physical realm, he was killed. His body, he was dead. That is such an amazing thing to think about. He was God, but he was dead. He died. He physically died. He, he suffered. So in a sense, you don't ever have to die. You know that? You, don't, you will never die, really. What an amazing thing to think about. That when we take our last breath, and when those loved ones of yours take their last breath, when you think back of those who, who have gone on that, that, that you love and you miss, that when they took their last earthly breath, and I've been with many, and, and, and actually when this has actually been the experience, <clears throat> and, and also my experience and all the times I've been with people in that situation or when they are very near, I, you know, I never sense this horrible dread or fear. I don't know if you've been there or not, but you can, you can tell. And for a believer in Jesus Christ, there is not this fear and dread and terror of death. There is a security and peace and, 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 uh, that only God can give, the peace that passes all understanding. And when I take my last breath, as Pastor Schutz used to say, oftentimes when we do a funeral service here, it's like walking from one room to the next. It's like leaving the sanctuary, going through that door uh, out, outside. It's like a baby being born from the womb. The baby does not die. The baby is born. But what a change. The last thing it wants to do is come into the world. But that's, part, that's, that's what it's supposed to do. And, and, and because of Jesus' death, I don't have to die. I will never die. I will simply, from here, be with God in eternity because I'm never outside of his hand. I do not have to suffer the separation because I have been, as Peter says, brought near to God. God doesn't bring me near. God doesn't bring me to him and then put me aside for a while and bring me back. And, and, and Peter says he, 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 was, he, was, he died to whom that he was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. And I think the emphasis there is on the spirit of God. It's not, a, it's not this dualism that somehow Jesus it was separated between body and spirit. He was raised in a, in, a, in, a, in a totality, in completeness, by the power of God, by the spirit, by the spiritual realm. And it's contrasting this earthly and this spiritual. Just as, it, as the Bible tells us in, in Romans chapter 8. Let me just read this to you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 that um, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. You know that passage. And in verse 11, and if the spirit of him, the spirit of him who raised from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. It's this contrast to the physical and the mortal and the spiritual and, and, and then go, Paul goes on to tell us that when our resurrection by, we will have a spiritual body. Now just think about that. Come on now. Think about those terms for a minute. Spiritual body. What does the word spirit generally indicate? 
non-material. What does the word body indicate? Material. You are going to have a spiritual body. And so I think what Peter is telling us here in 1 Peter chapter 3, he was put to death in the earthly realm. He was put to death by humans. He was, he was slaughtered. But God raised him by the Spirit. And when he was raised by the Spirit, listen, there is a triumphant journey to heaven. The Bible talks about this. We read it in Ephesians. He led captivity captive. He ascended. And when Christ ascended in the resurrection, the proclamation was made to the entire universe. Far above all authorities and powers that can be. Here on earth, Pilate and the Romans, the high priests and the Sanhedrin, and the heavenly authorities, the angelic powers, the those, you know, the demon, the angels, the angels don't live in hell. Remember Job? The angels, sons of God came to present themselves and Satan came with them. Satan's called the prince, the power of the air. And on that amazing, that, that we will never, never even begin to touch the surface of the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. And, and, this, and he ascended to heaven and when he did so, the spiritual world was, was shaken. The spiritual world was shaken by the, by the power of God that, that the celebration in the, in, the, in the spiritual world and the demonic forces that celebrated the death of the Son of God, they killed him. And it exploded in power and he was raised from the dead. And he ascended to heaven and on the way proclaimed to all the universe, even to the farthest reaches. I think what Peter's talking about here, those that, that have been held under guard from the time of Noah. And you'll have to read this yourself from chapter 6. And I think there is this reference here. I mean, you can't avoid it. To Noah, to Genesis chapter 6, where we have this story of the sons of God who came and mingled with the sons of men and produced the Nephilim, the giants on the earth. That's a whole other study. Maybe Gary will take that. In. Where are you, Gary? Next Sunday. You can preach the next Sunday. You want to handle that? Nope. Okay. Sorry. Gary says no. All right. Okay. I appreciate your honesty, Gary. And, uh, but listen, uh, that's a whole other study, but I, you, can't, you can't get around that. That's in this context that these, these, were they spiritual beings? Were they earthly beings? This idea of the Nephilim, this, this horrible sin that took place, and, and, and even to the far, farthest reaches, the farthest reaches of the, uni of the universe, the spiritual universe, the proclamation was made. He is risen. He is alive. He has conquered death and hell. He has conquered the sin. He has conquered the grave. And he brings new life to those who would receive him as their Savior. And this journey to heaven, this ascension to heaven, was a journey of proclamation. And I think, frankly, myself, it's best to read this. In chapter 18, and verse 18, he was, made a, he was put to death in the body, in the physical realm, right, on earthly realm, but he was made alive by the Spirit. And I think, I think the translators got it right by capitalizing Spirit there, by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. As he went, it doesn't say he descended, it says he went. And as he went and he preached on this journey to the spirits, and even the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, in it only a few people were saved. 
They were saved through water. That water symbolizes baptism that saves you. Not the removal of dirt, the body, but the pledge of a good conscience to God. It saves you by the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand with angels, authority, powers in submission to him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We sang this morning, our great Savior. That's a great song. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a friend. Saving, loving, helping, keeping to the very end. I think this is a proclamation, friends, of the power and the victory that the furthest reaches of the universe, it was announced to them, he has risen. Now listen, the second part of this passage, I don't know, maybe this is what Luther was talking about, this whole discussion of baptism we're not going to cover this morning um, simply because we're out of time. And I'm sure Gary doesn't want to cover this next week either, right, Gary? Yeah, he's going on in chapter 4. He could if he wanted, but I told him to cover the first part of chapter 4. So that we're, we want to kind of, we're trying to stay on schedule here. Um, so here's the deal. Here's what we'll do. Normally, normally I would say come back tonight for those who want to come to Bible study tonight and we'll cover it tonight. But don't do that because we're not meeting tonight. Okay, so I'm going to save that part of this passage for the first Sunday of September and Sunday night. How's that? Fair enough? So if you want to come Sunday night, the first Sunday of September, uh, we're going to cover this because there's some kind of interesting things here. I mean, notice what he says. He's been talking about this, actually it's the word antitype, that Noah and the ark become the antitype that symbolizes baptism. And notice what he says, that now saves you. The baptism that now saves you. But then he turns around and says, not the removal of dirt, not the washing, the ritual washing the Jews understood as their, as their purification of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So does the baptism save you or not? And what baptism is he talking about here? When he turns right around and says, but I'm not talking about the water that washes you clean. So I want to suggest to you we're, we're dealing with the spiritual baptism as the Apostle Paul talks about as well and we're in a transition, we're in a changing time. We'll come back to that later for the sake of time. That's as far as I want to go today. But I want to conclude with this. I want to conclude with this. Uh, Pastor Gary is going to move on with chapter 4 next week and I would like you to read it. I would like you to read it and meditate and, and think about it and contemplate it. We're, we're, we're going through this, this, this book section by section. But as we leave today, as we leave today, I want, I want you to go home with, with, um, with the, the joy and the victory that the basis for our salvation, the basis for my salvation, is that Christ died on the cross and suffered, suffered, suffered physically, horrible, excruciating death. He suffered the punishment of God that my sins are forgiven. That's good news. That's very good news. It's good news for you too. That your sins have been forgiven if you've received Christ's payment for your sins. But I must say, you know, we use the illustration with our children. They get it. They get it. Um, in the Bible, you know, Jesus said, unless you come as a child, you, you will never get it. They get it when I talk with the children and we do a lesson and I, give them a, and I give them a gift 
And I said, Here, here's a gift. Uh, there's a gift out there today. These yours, Rachel? Okay, there's about 20,000 plums out there on the, on the thing out there that came from the Newell's tree. I thought, Jeffrey, did you pick all these? Thanks a lot, Jeffrey. And uh, they want you to take them home. There's these beautiful golden plums. And, uh, and the, the children would get it. The children would get it. If I, if I said, Rachel, this is your gift, here it is. And she never received it. And said, well, thank you, Pastor Jim. That's really nice. Um, that's great. Thank you. But she never took the gift and never opened it and never applied it to her life. They get that. The children get that. That's not hard for them to understand. And it shouldn't be hard for you to understand either that Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary. He paid for your sin. He paid for my sin. He offers you forgiveness for your sins if you will receive his payment for your sins, if you will receive it. And that is the faith. To say, you know, I don't fully understand it. I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't, you know, I can't grasp everything about this. But I understand the gospel story. I am a sinner. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, never sinned. He went to the cross of Calvary and he died. And because he was fully man, fully human, he could take my place and he could take your place. But because he was fully God, he could satisfy God's anger and judgment against sin. You have a conscience. You would understand right or wrong. Listen, if these things go on in the world today, don't, don't gouge your conscience. How could people be so barbaric? How could they be so evil? You, you have a conscience about that because we're made in God's image. And because of that, we understand that, that sin has to be paid for and punished and we can be forgiven. And you have to receive it though. You can't leave this place and say, well, that's great. I appreciate that Jesus died for my sins and I hope it works someday. No, you need to receive it. And that's why we offer you, Sunday after Sunday, take a minute and offer you the opportunity. Why not? Why not say yes to God and receive his payment for your sins and receive eternal life and leave this place today forgiven and with the hope of being in God's presence and being a brand new creation for all eternity. And for those of you, and I know most of you today, that have made that decision, I just I want you to leave with this good news. This is good news, friends. The story of, of, of Jesus Christ's victory, his journey to heaven, his announcement to even the furthest reaches of creation and the spirit and demonic world, those who, who challenged him and, and, and fought with him during his time on earth here that he put in their place. God will put all things right. God will be vindicated. And the future is assured because he is above all authority, power, creation. He is at the right hand of God the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He will put all things right. And he is your God. And he'll walk with you this week. And you can have that hope and that assurance that God is in control. I praise the Lord that Jesus Christ delivered that message to all creation, to the furthest reaches, that he was victorious over the grave, over death, and over sin. We're going to celebrate. Gary asked me, what song shall we close with? What song goes with this passage? And I said, you know what, anything about celebrating, 
the power of God, the hope of God, and we're going to sing in Christ alone before we leave this morning. Thank you, Gary. Boy, that song said it all, huh? Huh? Here in the power of Christ, aren't you glad that it's not up to you and your power and your goodness and your strength? My goodness is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us. He brings us eternal life. And we have the hope that he's going to make everything right according to his plan. We worship a good God. And let's pray. As we close our eyes to pray, I just want to ask you, what, what do you take home from this today? Challenging passage of scripture. Some more things to think about, even the part we didn't cover. But what can you apply to your life? What does it mean to you today that he is your savior? He is your Lord. He is your friend. And he has invited you this week to stand in his power alone. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, what does it mean to you to reject him? To say no to such an offer of grace and love. I invite you right now where you stand to say yes to God and receive Christ as Savior. Father, we thank you so much for loving us, for caring for us. We think of the power and the might displayed in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we looked at last week, yet the very hairs of our head are numbered, not a sparrow falls to the ground outside of your care. And to think that with this universe and all that it contains, that you care about me, that you care about my life, and you care about each person here, and you care about their lives. You care about what we're going through. You care about our joys, our sorrows, our challenges. And Lord, we just love you today. We love you so much. And we leave this place with the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts. Amen.